The Pinball Network is online. Launching. Just another pinball podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Joel Engelberth with Just Another Pinball Podcast. This is episode eight, and I'm excited once again to uh, yeah record another podcast for you guys. A um, few things to go over of what I've kind of experienced in the last week and looking forward to that. I'm going to talk a little bit about California Extreme and some of the presentations that are available that you can actually watch on Twitch. So I watched some of those where there was a really good interview with uh, Brian Eddy and Mike, Mike Vinicor on Stranger Things and the developing of Stranger Things. And then I'm going to talk about some TMNT uh, issues um, and then my new Unbox experience. So let's just dive on in. So we'll start with um, Stranger Things. Zach at, at Flippin' Out Pinball has actually let me borrow a Stranger Things pinball machine because I know I placed my order for Turtles pretty early on, but due to COVID and some of the other stern uh, like building problems, they've been rather delayed. And so because of that, I know he let me know. I was hoping to get in the first run of pros, but those went out to only arcades. So then I was hoping to get into the second run of pros, but there it was very limited. And he said I, I unfortunately wasn't uh, high enough on his list to get one of those. So due to the delay, I, I just, he informed me of the delay. I just kind of casually said, Hey, is there something else that I can play for a month or stream? And luckily Zach lives close. And, um, he had, uh, there was a situation where he had lent out a stranger things and all I had to do was pick it up. So I picked it up and I've, uh, I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed playing it. And I'm, I'd be happy to go more into details of my review and maybe that's something I'll do is do a more in-depth review of Stranger Things. Um, the long and short of it is my initial impressions weren't the best. I was not in love with it when I first started playing it but the code and the layout has really grown on me and um, I'm really starting to enjoy it a lot. But um, one thing that I'd like to talk about is I think there was a lot of hype for Stranger Things. And a lot of people were very excited for Stranger Things. It's a theme a lot of people really like. I think it's Netflix's like most popular show ever. Um, and on top of that, it's Brian Eddy who designed it. So I think people are like, all right, Brian Eddy's had 20 years to think about this game. What's he gonna do? You know, it's gonna be amazing. And then they reveal it. And to be honest, it looks a lot like Attack from Mars, but instead of the spaceship in the middle, it's a uh, Demogorgon. So immediately people's expectations were not met and then on top of that the um there were some issues with the quality control there were a ton of dimples on the game um there were also the code early on was not the best um the code was rather simplistic but one of the main issues was when it was first released to defeat the demogorgon when you got into a demogorgon mode and the ramp came down the only way to defeat it was hit it in its mouth and to be honest, hitting hitting him directly in the mouth is a very challenging shot. I have done it. It is possible, but it is not consistent, and it is not. It's not easy. Um, I I personally feel it's more of like a, it's a it's a rarity. It's way more of a rarity than it is the norm. Um, but it is. It's a great feeling when you when you hit it. Um, but the issues were in the original code. The only way to get through that Dem demogorgon mode was either hit him in the mouth or drain. Um, now they've since changed that where you can actually just hit the sculpt five different times and it will defeat him and hitting him in the sculpt. It's, it's, it's almost hard to miss, you know, it's right up the middle and it's a big ramp and it's a big sculpt. So that really helps. And they're continuing to release more and more features. So this was just one of those situations where I think they unfortunately revealed the game early. I, if they would have put more code into it when it was initially released, it would have been a lot better. The other thing was the UV light kit. And I know I mentioned that in the last interview where the UV light kit, there were a lot of people upset about that, that why was that not included in the game? Um, you know, everything was printed in the game, but the light kit wasn't included in the game. So that was another kind of huge turnoff to people that within the first month, they were asking for a month or two, they were asking for essentially more money to add more things to the game. So it didn't have the, the best reveal, and I think there was a lot of speculation. Like the main left shot, uh, it's an it's a weird shot. It's not a it's not really a scoop. It's uh, it's just a weird. It just kind of hits this wall and then stops and then gets launched off across the playfield. But but the the spot at which it's launched off across the playfield, like it's not. It doesn't aim at center. 
it kind of just naturally hits a post. So it's just a weird shot. And I think a lot of people speculated um, that that was probably something else that Stern like removed from a cost cutting measure or I don't know, just a lot of people just assume that. And and what I've come to find out, and that, that brings me to my first topic, is California Extreme, they were, normally that's a big show. Well, instead they tried to do like a virtual show kind of presentation. And they actually had some really cool uh, interviews. I only had a chance to watch a few. The first one was they interviewed uh, Brian Eddy and Mike Vinicor on like what you have to do or, or what the processes are on creating a new pinball machine from start to finish. Like how do you design a pinball machine? The second presentation was actually with Jack Danger with Dead Flip and he did a good job explaining how he kind of went about the process of building his own pinball machine. The third one, I think this is the right order. They interviewed this guy that did these really cool uh, posters, like an artist, and they kind of showed his design technique. And my undergrad was graphic design, and I know Adobe Illustrator really well. So watching him work and build art in Illustrator was actually really, I, I was really impressed by that. Then they interviewed Zen Studios, and that's when I realized the actual Twitch stream is like, five something hours long. And so I kind of stopped watching at that point. Um, but to get back to the interview with Brian Eddy, the best part of that, and, and I would recommend just search California Extreme um, or at CEX um, on Twitch. And um, there's a bunch of pictures. There's a bunch of pictures of the white wood and, and the different white wood and the different white wood iterations um, that they went through. And that actually explained a lot. So the first thing that I was very surprised by was the layout in the ramps really did not change at all. So that kind of left weird scoop shot was there since iteration number one. And I there were multiple different iterations of Whitewoods that they showed in this presentation. And they never showed anything. It's not like there was something else there and it was removed. It's like that was his plan from the beginning. The left ramp looks identical. This that shape, the the right ramp, the I mean the main layout, the right orbit where it doesn't even orbit, it goes just back into that corner, and then you have the left orbit that actually comes around to the right flipper. All of those shots were there since the beginning. Um, none of that changed. The main things that you see differently between Whitewood to Whitewood is there was always a demogorgon in the middle, and there was always a ramp. That was always the plan. Demogorgon and ramp, but the main thing that changed were the number of drops in front of the Demogorgon. Um, one of the things that it showed was how there was the main ramp, but there you have these panels to the right and left of the ramp. The initial design had those panels bent inwards. So instead of it being a flat, you know, panel, ramp, panel, it was kind of like a, I don't know, like a trifold presentation board kind of thing where they fold in. Um, and then there were eight drop targets. There were actually eight drop targets all around there. So to get to, there's a shot on the current game to the left of the Demogorgon that you just kind of go back and I uh, forget what that's called. And then on the right side, there's the burn it back. Well, imagine drop targets in front of those. So initially they had eight drop targets and they said they realized that was kind of, it wasn't doing what they wanted and it was an, is an, an issue underneath the play field. So then they changed it to, and those eight drop targets were actually, they weren't in a line. They were kind of curved as well. Then they went to six drop targets. So it was kind of a bank of three, a little bit of an opening and a bank of three, and they were in a line. So that little bit of an opening, you could shoot through it if you wanted to, but they still just weren't happy with it. And then it dropped down to four, which opened the shots on the left and right. So you could tell the main focus since day one was two things and that's what they talked a lot about it was getting the demogorgon right and the projector and so obviously when when stern goes about designing a play field there's probably a time limit and there's probably a budget and part of that budget is r d and it was very clear through this presentation that they spent a lot of time and a lot of probably that budget that r d budget on the demogorgon the ramp the projector and the UV light kit. I talked about the UV light kit last week and they mentioned that in the presentation that with the UV light kit, they did a ton of testing with UV inks. Um, my master's degree was in technical printing. So I'm this is right up my alley. 
And they talked a lot about how they had to find the right ink. They had to find the right ink that would give off the right amount of glow. They had to find a lot of those UV inks that glow like that, the, sh the shelf life or like how well they work well. Um, there's a big change there. Like, okay, this UV glow may look great for a year, but it slowly fades over time. So they wanted to make sure they had uh, UV ink with longevity. And then on top of that, they had to print the UV ink, but then they had to put a clear coat or a hard coat on top of that. And so watching the reaction there, how much it would diffuse it or, or you know, lessen it, that was a whole thing, which kind of, this is pure speculation, but I know people complained a lot about the dimples on Stranger Things. And I'm very curious if they used either a different type of hard coat or maybe less layers of their normal hard coat just to allow the UV ink to be better or show better or glow more. I don't know, but he talked about that, that they did a ton of testing in that. So it's like, okay, well, that makes sense. If, if they're going to focus a lot of time and energy on that, that's that's part of their R&D budget. Um, another thing was the Demogorgon. Originally, they had him look more kind of like the Funko Pop. If you search Funko Pop Demogorgon, it looked like that. And then they realized that didn't look right. And they also originally had the mouth open and close. And there's pictures of that mech. But they realized quickly, not only was that a very complicated mech, but it also then made the sculpt, the only way they could hide the mech and whatnot, the sculpt really stopped looking like a Demogorgon. So that's obviously all time and energy that they paid for that did not translate into the final product. Um, then they showed multiple iterations, multiple white woods of all these drops targets. So that was something that they were spending time and energy on. It didn't, didn't pan out. They ended up going with the four drop targets. And then lastly, he talked a lot about the projector. You know, they wanted to do something new. They wanted to do something unique with the projector. And so he said that they just literally bought projector after projector after projector. And it was all about what was small enough to fit in the machine, what gave off the best picture, and what was reliable. And so they were doing just hours and hours. And I'm assuming they were letting these projectors just run for, you know, days, weeks, months on end just to make sure that the projector... You know, if you're going to put that a premium or LE on location, you don't want the projector burning out, you know, a month on location kind of thing. So they said they had to test a ton, a ton, a ton of equipment. And and here they are. They, they picked the, the projector that they, they picked. So what that tells me is I feel like, oh, there was more. Um, another thing was TK Multiball, like in the current version, it's it's one area where the balls were will lock well originally he had two magnets he had two magnets in two areas so i'm assuming he had two ramps both of them shot it up and he realized that the timing and everything he could not get that to work so he decided to go down to one magnet and that's when he realized that he could actually have multiple balls all hang on one magnet so they're like it was perfect it simplified our, our equation but it still gave us what we wanted where we we're able to lock the balls so they were happy with that so to me, you know, I would love to see a presentation like this on every Stern game that comes out. And I would just, I'm very curious. I would love to see those iterations. I'd love to see how, you know, the designer is changing things over time. What gets cut, what doesn't get cut. You know, random side note. I know like uh, um, Keith was talking about how with um, Jurassic Park, originally the whole game was flipped, like mirrored. The T-Rex was on the right side. Everything was on the right side, but he realized that stuff didn't work right underneath. So he had to like flip the whole game. So, you know, hearing stories like that, that's pretty cool to know, you know, what these developers are doing and, and what their thought processes are. But my takeaway from hearing this was Brian Eddy came to the table and I don't think he spent that much time focusing on ramps or other shots. I think he was just very focused on I want my pinball machine to be different, to, to have something that's different than anybody else's game. And so he was focusing on new technology and new technology takes money. It takes time and it takes, you know, R&D efforts. So he focused on, you know, the UV reactive ink. He focused on using magnets in a way that were never used before. He focused on dialing in a ramp. He focused on the projector and all of those things because of that, I think it actually took away from a lot of other areas of the play field that he probably could have spent more time doing something more creative with the ramps or the layout or whatever. 
Um, so, you know, if, if that's a thing, if you, if you have a large collection and you, you know, you want something to stand out, I mean, Stranger Things does stand out. The projector is something you do not see at all. Um, so I, I don't know. I found that really, really interesting, um, to watch that presentation. It was cool to hear about all of that. And he basically designs the entire layout before it's given to code. You know, they've been talking about it from day one. But the code, they really just try to make it work with the layout. And um, I don't know. I would definitely recommend. Um, I would definitely recommend watching that. So just search CEX. I don't know uh, presentation or CEX 2020, and you'll on Twitch, and you'll be able to find that, and you'll be able to watch that and check out some of the pictures. Also on Pinside under the Stranger Things owner thread, they they showed some pictures of the White Woods or whatnot. Um, so yeah, take that as, as you want. But um, I think it that that presentation actually explained a lot of what Stern was doing with Stranger Things and where they had put their 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 main focuses and where they put their money uh, in, in a sense which was all about trying to develop something new and unique and um yeah and that's what that's what we got so I'm not bashing Stranger Things I you know it's it's not a theme that I would love to keep in my house but it's it is a it is a much more enjoyable game than I think Pinside or a lot of other reviewers have given it. If you played it when it first came out, give it another go. It's much better now than it was originally. And if you if you can dive into the code, you can actually really realize there's a lot to that game that, that makes it very fun and addictive. Um, so the next topic, my last um, episode was, I think I titled it Lack of Drama. And I had said, uh stern qc things i said good and bad good no pooling bad were there were issues with the le max well i don't think it was 24 hours since my my podcast was posted did we start to see on Pinside there were some clear coat and pooling issues and so i kind of just laughed to myself i'm like of course of course that's how it happens you know right after i post it sure enough there there was that um now where is it pooling um i know when pooling was an issue like this was when jurassic park came out came out all of a sudden people noticed this in their games and we also saw it with pirates and i think willy wonka like it wasn't just stern um and we never got a good answer from anybody on what it was but one of the changes that we what we saw with a lot of these companies was previously you had art that went under all the posts and mainly in the slingshots or the, the posts near the front of the game. But anywhere that there was a post that a ball could potentially, whether it was a star post or a normal just straight post, anywhere that a ball could be, you know, plowing into, if there was art underneath it, there's a chance the clear coat would pool. And the question is why? And if you think about it, these, these, Play fields are printed in a way where you have bare wood. They probably treat it somehow with some sort of chemical or something. I don't know. Then they print down a white and then they print down the four color process, like colors on top of that, CMYK. Um, and that these are all printed digitally, as far as I know. This is all using like a large flatbed, flatbed digital printer. Kind of like your inkjet printer at home, but much bigger. Um, that's as far as I know. That's the print technology that they use for, for all their play fields. Um, now, what they were seeing was if their art, if the art was underneath the posts, there's a chance that what they were seeing was that potentially maybe it's the white not adhering to the wood well or the ink not adhering or something, but they throw the clear coat on top of all that and now all of a sudden you have this object that's pushing down into this clear coat instead of this clear coat being rock hard like a sheet of glass it had some sort of give to it and so that would start to pool or mound up well it would mound up but it still adhered well to the ink below it more so than the ink was adhering to the wood so when it would bubble up it would actually pull the ink off the wood and so the fear at that point was if the clear would ever chip or break off, it would not just be clear that's breaking off, it would also be carrying the art under it. And so what the fix was, was to make sure you never had art 
underneath any of those posts. So if you look at a lot of Stern games and even Jersey Jack, or I've seen uh, like American Pinball, and I think even Spooky does it, any post that they have, they purposely give that post, whatever the size of the post is, they, they make like a circle bigger than that that has no art underneath it. That way it's just clear adhering straight to the wood. And um, we've seen that that actually really, really helps. Um, it helps keep pooling from happening. And if pooling ever did happen, it would only be clear that would be chipping off. You would not lose any artwork and it visually would not look nearly as bad as when you lose artwork. So what we've what we started to see on turtles were two things one that on the left on the far left side there's a star post in the outlane that star post for whatever reason it's like it was skipped or missed there is artwork that goes all the way under that star post there is not they didn't give that safe boundary under that star post every other post in the game looks totally good but not under that left star post and sure enough that left star post is where people were seeing the pooling happen. So to me, it's just, that's a whoopsie. Somebody missed it, whether it was in the art department, printing department, I don't know. That could have been a separate layer. It, just some overlook in the art in the art file that that's a problem. And so that that is one place they saw the pooling. The other place they started to see issues is with certain metal ball guides so you have these these metal walls essentially that are about an inch tall that are screwed in vertically at a right angle straight down into your play field that help you know lead your your ball around and um there's some near the front at the apron there's all throughout the games they're all in different places and we actually started to see this initially with like deadpool and i feel like a few other games had this where if the clear coat on top was not perfectly hard and somebody screws down that metal ball guide too hard well, that ball guide is only, you know, a millimeter or two wide. It's kind of sharp. If you're pulling that into the clear coat and there's too much pressure, you're kind of forcing either that clear coat has to hold and be rock hard like a sheet of glass, or if it at all is not fully cured, what is it going to do? It's going to pull that guide into the clear and the clear is going to start to kind of push out from the sides. And so what we've seen, we've seen this in other games, but what we've seen with Turtles is sure enough, there were a few ball guides. There were people that were taking their games apart for whatever reason to add cliffies or add this or add that. And they realized, hey, as soon as I remove this ball guide, sure enough, right where that post goes into through the board, it's like somebody tightened this down way too much or the clear hadn't fully cured. And so now I've started to bubble around that ball guide. And there's no real good solution to that. I mean, there's so many ball ball guides in a game. If you try to have the same mentality of, well, don't put any art there, then you would hope every ball guide that's curved or flexible at all just happens to line up perfectly with the area you don't have art. And then it would really, it just wouldn't look good. So the question is, why are these ball guides tightened down so hard? Or the second option, which some people are recommending on pin side is Put, you know, you have your ball guide, there's a post that sticks out that or a stud that sticks out from under it that's going to go through the play field. Well, what if you put a small washer right there? So instead of ever having the ball guide actually touch the play field, you have a washer touch the play field instead. So now instead of kind of having this, you know, one millimeter, two millimeter thin kind of razor blade being pulled down into your play field, you're dispersing that weight um, across a washer. And visually, it doesn't look as good because now you have this washer sticking out of your guide. Now, a ball would never touch that washer because the ball is going to touch the ball guide. But it's just, I'm assuming they don't do that for a visual standpoint. But you know what? If that fixed the problem, each one of those washers would be pennies. You know, it's it, it would be an easy fix, I think. And so that's what a lot of people are talking about where they're like, we've seen this now in multiple games. It looks like Turtles is part of that too. So what are we going to do? Is it a clear coat issue? Is it things are being over tightened or is it a mixture of the two? I don't know. And so as a new inbox buyer for turtles, these were two things I was worried about. Am I going to have clear coat issues with the ball guides or with my star post? And some people are saying, hey, before you even plunge a ball, you know, start taking your game apart and start adding washers just to prevent any of this from ever happening. And as somebody that's buying something brand new, that's thousands of dollars, you know, that to me, it would be like, well, before you buy a new car, have it shipped to your house. Don't drive it home from the dealership and immediately give it an oil change, 
clean it, do this, replace the tires, replace this, boom, boom, boom. Like do a six hours of work to your car before you even pull it out of your driveway just to make sure everything's safe. It's like nobody wants to do that. And, and I know I definitely didn't want to do that with my machine. So I started researching, well, what can you do? How, how can you repair clear coat issues if you have them? And believe it or not, there's actually a really good post on Pinside that somebody talks about using a vinyl iron. This sounds so dumb and it's kind of scary, but basically saying if you ever have pooling on your on your machine, you can use that. It's kind of a low heat kind of thing. And you can set that on your clear coat. It'll warm it up and will actually flatten it out. And then you just let it cool. And they're like, it'll actually harden that clear coat more than it was before. Not only should it lay that, that bubble down, but it also should keep it from ever happening again. So once I read that, I read that other people had tried that and had good success with it. It's like, okay, you know what? If, if mine shows up with pooling, instead of calling Stern, instead of complaining to my distributor, you know what? I, that's, a, that's a fix that I can do. I just, I'm excited about this game. I want to play the game. So I kind of prepared myself for that. Now, another thing that I'd seen with Turtles, and I'd seen this last episode, but I didn't bring it up because there was one person that had posted some pictures of their playfield, or it was like a friend of theirs playfield, and the print itself was pretty grainy. And he's like, look, this is what my friend's playfield looks like. And to my surprise, a bunch of the pinsiders were like, I don't think I believe this picture. Or I feel like this picture was like edited. Or I think it's just due to, you know, the ISO settings on the camera or the low light settings on the camera. They're like, there's, I don't know, just like straight up ridicule. Like, no, it doesn't look like that. Because all these other people, none of these other owners had a play field that looked like that at all. So I'd seen that. And I was like, huh, okay, there are, there is a guy complaining about print issues, but I've never heard that like uh, of a, of a print quality issue on any other Stern. So I didn't really think anything of it, but I was like, I'll keep my eye out for it, but I, I'm not going to think anything of it. So, okay. So let's move on to, I'm going to come back to that, but let's move on to the third topic here, which is just my overall new inbox buying experience. I have only been in this hobby like three years and I told myself I'd never buy a new inbox pin. One, because you hear horror stories. You hear people, you know, open a game and there's issue with it or this or that. Like it's to me, I, I'm not a huge fan of buying new cars. I'd rather buy a used car, not only for the, the cost savings, but also because then you can try it out. You can see the history of the car. Like it's been proven. I, I like all that. And I, I, to be honest though, a lot of it's just the money. Same thing with, with pinball. I'd rather buy a used pinball machine know that it works and be happy to fix it up if something's broken to me it's easier you know if you put a scratch on it that doesn't bother me way more than like having a baby or take care of something that's pristine uh, I, i'm fine with the character um with that said though turtles was kind of a dream theme for me and i saw it and was like that looks amazing and instead of waiting a year or two for hopefully somebody locally to be done with it and want to move on from it it's like i don't want to wait that long i would really like to play this game this is a game that i would love to own so I was in a position where I could sell a game and I had saved for another thing. And I was like, all right, I have the money for it. Let's just do it. I called Zach at Flippin' Out. I know Zach. Obviously, I, I stream through TPN um, and I do my podcast through TPN. I've talked to Zach multiple times. I trust him. I was like, yeah, why not? Let's go with somebody I trust. Um, well, he gave me a quote. It was a good quote. I was like, all right, I still feel like I need to do my due diligence. So I called two other distributors. I called one in Ohio that was highly recommended um, and he gave me a similar quote. And then I called um, a local guy, uh, downtown Indy, and he gave me a similar quote. And so I reached back out to the local guy and said, well, what if I drive to your shop and pick it up? And he's basically like, doesn't matter, same price. I'm thinking like, well, that doesn't make sense. You're telling me I can have one shipped to my door or one that I have to drive and pick up and they're the same price. I don't I, I don't, he, that guy just rubbed me the wrong way. So I was like, never mind. I'm not going to go with that. I'm going to either go with Zach or I'm going to go with the guy in Ohio. So I was like, you know what? I have a personal relationship with Zach. I'm going to go with Zach. Great. Called him up. It was easy conversation. Sent me an invoice, mailed him a check. Couldn't be easier when it came to placing an order. Um, so that's step one of the new boxing experience. And reality is I wish I didn't have to shop around. You know, I, I feel like when you're buying a car, whether it's a new car, used car, anything like that, you, you feel like there's this wheeling and dealing or you just want to make sure you're not like missing out on a good deal. 
It's like, wait, you're saying if I order from a guy halfway across the US, I could get it for a hundred bucks cheaper. It's like, I don't, I hope that's all standardized. All the quotes I got were the same. So, but still, I just, it's a weird feeling, feeling like you need to build the rapport with a distributor or, you know, maybe if I was a frequent customer, I could save money or I don't know. It's like, should I be negotiating? It's just a kind of weird thing to be in that position where you're trying to find that object. Maybe I'm just spoiled and used to hopping on Amazon and clicking add to cart, you know, kind of thing. But it was fine. It was a fine experience. Uh, second part, though, was a lot of just sitting and waiting. And, you know, initially I placed the order in, I think it was like July, and I was hoping to get it by the end of July. And then we heard there was issues. And luckily, Zach was great communicating all this. I'd reach out to him and he'd tell me what he knew or else he'd send me updates. I mean, it was very easy to stay in contact with him. And when I heard that it was going to be delayed for the second time, not until August, uh, he let me know. He was very accommodating. It was it was great. Um, but, you know, that's a very different experience than when you buy one used. When you buy one used, it's called, you got it called person up. You set up a time to go. You go and pick it up. So this... The sitting and waiting part was a, was a new experience for me. Then um, I was actually in a position where I picked up my game from the local freight uh, get depot or something. So to me, I was actually really comfortable with that because that means that it was literally put on a truck at Stern and that was driven straight to the depot. Or, or maybe there was a stop or something in between, but the reality is it's just less transportation um, then, then having like a local FedEx or somebody else take it, bring it to my house. It's just one less forklift. I don't know. Maybe I'm making that all up, but to me, I had no issues doing that. It added 30 minutes to me going, going and picking it up. And, uh, I like that because I was able, they called me up, said, Hey, it came in. Zach told me it was going to be shipped, uh, on a Wednesday night, Thursday morning, the local depot called me, says we have a package for you. And I picked it up Thursday afternoon. It was great. Um, so my game, the Turtles that I have, it says it was built on August 3rd, and I had it in my possession on August 5th, which is pretty crazy um, how quick that was, which is really neat. Um, so picking up the machine, awesome experience. Uh, it's, it's easier to move them around when they're in a box than it is wrapping it up and trying to make sure they're not scratched and all that. So I, I'm a fan of that. Um, then comes the unboxing experience. Unboxing it was just, it was, yeah, it was like a kid on Christmas morning. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was because there was an element of surprise of just like, what am I going to get? What's this going to look like? I had not played Turtles. I had not seen Turtles in person. So it was just, it was just really neat. And I actually streamed it. If you go to Just Another Pinball Podcast on, or Just Another Pinball Stream on Twitch, I actually streamed my unboxing um, and showed that process. And it's very easy to do. Stern does a really good job packing them up. Um... I had no issues at all physically with the outside of my machine or any even mechanical issues with the machine. Um, it was just really neat. It's kind of like when you buy electronic and you're peeling the clear film off and you just that fresh and clean feeling. It was great. I, I really enjoyed, I don't know, it was just a really cool experience buying it new and just seeing it in such a pristine and clean and perfect uh, like way. It was It was neat. So put it all together set the machine up and um, took a look over on it. The very first thing I looked for was pooling, saw none, saw no dimples. And the machine booted right up. And when I played a few games, not a single mechanical issue. This was a pro, so I didn't have a diverter. I didn't have the, the, the car lock to lock balls. I didn't have any issues with it at all. The game played great. Um, so overall, it was a great new unboxing experience, except for one, for one thing. Now, I mentioned that my undergrad was graphic design, and I mentioned that my master's was in technical printing. Well, my job for a living is I do software support for a printing company, specifically focusing on color accuracy and color reproduction. Um, I have, it's a company proofer, but I have a large roll-fed digital printer. It's 24 inches wide that's here in my home office. And the point of that printer is um, the company I work for, we deal a lot with flexible packaging. So imagine that somebody designs a new chip bag and before they order that, ch that chip bag to be printed, you know, 2 million times, they want to see what it's going to look like. 
uh, obviously. And you can look at it on screen, but as anybody knows, if you've ever printed anything, the colors that you see on screen and the colors that print out on a piece of paper are different. And so my company makes color accuracy software where you could print out, even though it's on paper, you could print out that product on paper and there's verification strips on there, which have a bunch of different colored patches. And then using something called a spectrophotometer, you measure in those patches and measures light reflectance. And it basically shows you how color accurate your proof is. So, and our software can take substrate into account. So if you're printing on a metallic chip bag, it could actually change knowing that the white point is not going to be perfectly white. It's going to, you know, the paper white's going to look a little different. So it'll add ink for that. I mean, it's really cool. But my job, I mean, I look at color accurate proofs all day now how my digital press it's it's a nice digital sorry digital you know roll fed paper printer how it works is not the same technology as a large flexographic printing press but it mimics it well and the color accuracy it mimics well well to get that type of color accuracy your digital my digital printer has to print consistently well and there's maintenance involved in that uh, most people don't realize that any sort of digital printer it's it's ink it is wet ink it's not a toner based system it is a wet ink that is being spit out onto your substrate well every single digital printer whether it's um if it's inkjet whether it's a small eight and a half by eleven or it's a large one the way that it keeps the nozzles clean is it is constantly spitting out ink and so every single one has some sort of maintenance like cartridge in it. Mine is something I can replace. On like a normal digital printer, a small one, you would have to take yours physically apart and you'd probably see this huge cube of cotton that's just soaked with ink, with uh, inkjet ink. And that's one reason why, you know, when people have these home printers and they don't use them for six months and they come back and it's like, how in the world is my ink cartridge dried up they always assume it's dried up it's not dried up it's empty and it's because over the last six months it's every day spitting out a little bit of ink just trying to keep the 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 print head clean and wet so that it'll print clean when you need it um so that's a whole bunch of detail you probably don't care about but with all that said there's a lot of maintenance that you need to make a good proof and believe it or not a lot of the the hardest things to print are large solids because that that inkjet head cannot print everything without having to move the substrates moving and the late in the the head of the of the inkjet printer is moving back and forth and so the only way that works is if you're printing consistently every single time the substrate moves or every single time the the, the inkjet head moves back and forth um, and that's where we rely on the technology built into these pieces of hardware to do that well um, but there are maintenance things you have to do. We You run a nozzle check, a nozzle clean, where you basically see that every single little area that could be spitting out ink is spitting out consistently. And if not, you can clean those. So once again, more detail you probably care about, but there there's, there is a whole maintenance side to making sure that an inkjet printer, what regardless of its size, prints well and prints consistently. What I will tell you is on my play field, I am not happy with the print quality of my playfield. It is very apparent to me. I can see very clearly the direction that the inkjet head was moving. And so what that means is every single time the substrate or the, the wood that this is moving, it's not like the woods on a conveyor belt and it's moving under the, and it's moving physically moving under the inkjet head. It's the opposite. It's a flatbread bed inkjet printer that's stationary maybe with a vacuum table or something being held down and it's the inkjet um the ink um jet head that's moving back and forth just like in your printer but instead of the substrate moving that that is probably on some sort of gantry and it's moving across the bed well those steps every single time that moves to do the next row it's very clear on mine i can see that spacing and so what that tells me is they probably had a dirty nozzle it was there's one row of one nozzle or something that wasn't printing clean like it was so you can see these lines these vertical lines across my the printing of my play field so for somebody that looks at this all day long i understand i have a very critical eye but to me it's also very apparent of like i think anybody would probably see this and to me that's disappointing to say the least that i'm assuming stern has some sort of tolerance or QC program when it comes to what is good enough printing 
And overall, I mean, it looks good. Maybe I'll, if, if I had a, I'd give it maybe a B, a B minus, you know, it's, it looks good. It's legible and everything, but to see those lines that to me, it's like that, that's no good. I would not send that to a customer. Maybe they just unfortunately sent it to the worst customer possible. Somebody with a very critical eye for printing and print quality. But to me, it stands out like a sore thumb and, um, it kind of, you know, I unbox this machine and it's something that I immediately see and can't not see. And of course, when I add, cause I stream. So as soon as I add more light, it's even more apparent. And it's just like, like I unfortunately went to bed that night and I'm like, this game's amazing. The code's amazing. It shoots amazing. But the play field, ugh, you know, like I can't, I can't look at it like that. So I took some pictures and I sent them to Zach at flipping out. And I basically said, this is an issue. And I got to give Zach a lot of credit. He reached out to me uh, the very next day and we talked about it and he said, this is what we can do. And this is how we can, you know, we can show this to Stern and see what Stern can do, can do. But regardless of what they do, you know, I'm going to make it right. And I, and I really appreciate Zach for stepping up like that. And it really reiterates the importance of having a good distributor, you know, somebody that you have a rapport with, because I have no doubt in my mind, if buying a pinball machine was as easy as add to cart and you're not talking to anybody, well, the moment you have a problem like this, you're going to have a problem getting it fixed. But when you're actually working with somebody that cares and is passionate about this industry, and, and if you build that type of rapport, um, it's awesome to know that, that somebody has my back for that. Um, another thing, though, that surprised me was there is some graininess. And what I mean by graininess, that's not a very technical term. The technical term would be the resolution. The resolution that it's printed at looks to be a lower resolution um, than what the pictures of the LE playfields were. Um, the DPI, the dots per inch. So it's how, you know, these nozzles are spinning out, spitting out little drops of ink on, onto this, this wood. Um, and what I will tell you is a lot of digital flatbread presses have the ability to print at a really high resolution. So a bunch of really, really tiny dots, so small that you can't see them. You'd have to take out a microscope or a loop or something and really see those dots. And what I saw with the LE, and when I go down and I look at Stranger Things, you can't see the individual print dots easily at all with the naked eye. Um, that is not the same for the, the play field that I have. Um, it is very clear to see. And because of that, when you see solid lines, you know, like a black line that's supposed to have a nice crisp edge, it doesn't that edge is kind of fuzzy. And it's because the resolution is a lot lower than some of the other play fields. Um, another thing that I noticed was on my play field, there is no art under the left star post, which is great. So it's obvious Stern is listening. Stern saw that, Stern found their mistake and they fixed it. They added that that leeway or they 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 added trapping is what it's called in the printing industry, but they, they did a pullback. They actually pulled the art back from that area to allow that area to be bare wood. So I saw that and it immediately is like, that's awesome. They're listening. They That's the solve to that problem. So now I don't have to worry about pooling in that. I will tell you, I did not take the rest of my game apart. I have not looked at the metal guides, but just from what I could see, I didn't see any pooling issues with the metal guides. But it's like, awesome. So Stern made a change here. But that made me start to think, Stern made a change here. So I have no idea. I have no idea how many play fields Stern gets printed at a time. I also have no idea how many companies they go through, whether it's the same company that prints all their play fields, whether they're printing their play fields internally. I don't know. So this is 100% pure speculation. But one of my thoughts was Stern realized we messed up. And let's say they had, whatever, 200 play fields printed. And maybe they did something crazy and decided, all right, we've made 150 games. Those last 50 play fields, though, there's a chance that if we send games out with those play fields, we're going to have pooling issues. It's going to cause problems. So you know what? Scrap them. We're going to print new play fields. We're going to print them the right way. But we're behind on time. So maybe instead of printing the play fields at a really high resolution like they're used to, um, which caused the print head to go slow, they lowered the resolution, thus causing or being able to print faster. So that's 100% pure speculation. But when I compare the LE play fields or the play fields I saw there to the play field, my pro or some of the pictures that I've seen of other people's pros, it looks like, hey, we need to get these play fields out quicker. So what's one of the ways we can do that? Well, let's not skimp on the clear coat. 
but how do we physically print these faster? Lower the resolution. Thus, it increases the speed that this inkjet or the digital press can print. Maybe that's what they did because my playfield looks way more grainy or fuzzy or lower res than the LE pictures or the, the first order of pros. And I've reached out to, I got my game on a Thursday. I've heard of a guy that got his on Saturday and I heard of a guy that got his on Friday. The guy on Saturday, he does not have the art under the, the post just like mine, and his is grainy. The guy that has got his on Friday, his was also built early August, like August 2nd or August 3rd. His playfield looks great, but he does have the art under the post. So that to me is they changed something. His without the art under the post was like from the first series or from the first printer or with the first settings. I don't know but now they've changed something. So if you have the changed art, your art is probably grainy compared to the original art. So those are the things that it's like, I'm not here to bash Stern. I don't want to be the next Canada. I don't want to be those that guy that tells you that just rants and raves about it. This personally happened to me. This is something, this is my dream theme. This is something I've looked forward to. This is my money. This is what I saved up for. Um, so it hurts. I mean, it stings a little bit that crap. I am now, I have fallen into the category of buying new in box and regretting it. Now, with that said, I don't regret it. I still love the machine. I'm happy to have it. And the reason I don't, the one reason I don't regret it is because I trust my distributor and I trust Zach at Flipping Out Pinball that he's going to come through. Now, I would love to hear Stern explain this or, you know, communicate what happened or what's changed. Will they? No, they're not going to. I've never, I've never once heard of Stern admitting a mistake. All the closest thing is they release a bulletin on like a mechanical fix. But to me, I think it's very clear that Stern changed something in their printing process. They either tried out a new place. They they tried out. They realized like we have such a high demand for turtles and we're so behind that we need more play fields and we need them as soon as possible. So maybe they went to another company and this is another company's play fields. And to be honest, the quality is not good. Or they made an executive decision to change how they're currently doing things, where they're printing things at a lower resolution or, I don't know, taking shortcuts just to get things out faster. But unfortunately, I feel like they're kind of, they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot because now you're going to end up with unhappy customers. And I'm very curious to see if, you know, there's a chance that I may be the rarity. I may be, they may have sent out a hundred machines this way and they may get five complaints and the other 95 not notice the graininess or not care about the graininess. And you know what? That's fine. I I almost wish I didn't see it. I wish I, I wish there wasn't that tainted little negative taste in my mouth with, with buying this new. Um, but there is. And and once again, like I said, I I'm I'm still love this machine. I'm excited to play it. I will definitely do a better review of the machine from a game plan standpoint. Um, and I don't know. I don't know necessarily what I'm suggesting. I don't want anybody to cancel their orders. I don't want anybody to like say the heck with Stern. I'm never buying from them. Obviously, they make crap machines. I'm not doing any of that. I, I just look at this as this may be a fluke. Mine, the reason I'm talking about, I, I can see that print direction. I think I just had a clogged nozzle. There's a chance that the printer, the press operator saw that did a nozzle check, nozzle clean, something like that. And every other one that it printed afterwards looks better. If it was just the graininess, I don't think I'd be caring that much, nearly as much. But the fact that I have the streaks, the vertical streaks in mine, like that's a print defect and I can't fix that. I can't get a vinyl iron and fix the clear coat. Like I can't, I, I would do that. I could fix clear coat, but I can't fix the printing. I can't do that. And this is, this is something I can't not see. So I was very hesitant to make this podcast because I don't want to be the guy that bashes Stern. and I, But at the same time, I wanted to be honest and I wanted to share my my experience. And um, I, I don't feel like I'm going to hide that at all. And um, all I can say is I, I trust Zach. And so once again, I trust, um, I think, finding a good uh, distributor that you can trust and work with and make sure you ask around if you're, you're going to buy a machine. Ask some of the other collectors in your area. Who have you gone with? Have you ever had any problems? How did they help you? That kind of stuff. But one thing I can say with with 100% um, honesty is I, I trust Zach at Flipping Out Pinball. And um, so if you're looking for somebody, um, give him a shot. Uh, that's my, per, my one. I have one personal experience. 
and so far it's been it's been really good um so yeah that's about all i have for episode eight uh hopefully that wasn't was good a good listen um please by all means if there if if anybody has anything other tmnt pro owners anybody else that that has any questions comments concerns anything uh feel free to reach out to me at just another pinball at gmail.com um be happy to uh, start that conversation or potentially read your question on air and uh, we'll talk about it. It would be great. Um, one thing I do need to mention, a side note, This Week in Pinball. Jeff at This Week in Pinball is doing something very, very cool that I don't think you guys realize. But he has the Pinball Promoters Database. And I'm on that. If you search just another pinball, I am on that. And by all means, if uh, this is my random side plug, Please, if, you, if you're willing to, can you give me a review on that? Um, I currently have one review. Um, now, I'm just another pinball on that. Now, obviously, I have just another pinball podcast, just another pinball stream, and just another pinball show. So they're kind of all under the same category. But if you guys like this podcast or enjoy listening to it, by all means, leave me a review there. I would, I would really love that. Um, but back to Jeff. So he has this pinball promoters database. He sent out an email to all of us that are on that database like a month or a little more than a month ago. And he said, hey guys, I just want you to realize, and there's like hundreds of people on this on this email. I just want you to realize that I really appreciate everything that you do. And so one thing that I'd like to do is I'd like to take a percentage of our, of our profits every month and share them with you guys because you guys are making the content. And I hope that's motivating for you guys to continue to make that content. If you're willing to, if you want to join that program, send me an email. I'm like, uh, Sure, why not? So I sent him an email, and sure enough, this last month he paid pay, PayPal'd me uh, some money. It wasn't much. I mean, it was a very small amount, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just the fact that it's like that. I I just technically got paid for making a podcast or streaming, and it, there's nobody nobody asked Jeff at this week in pinball to do that. So all I can say is. By all means, it's amazing that he is supporting me in doing this. Um, so if you guys enjoy that website at all or think that's a cool idea, reach out to Jeff. Tell him that's an awesome idea or joy, or, or feel free to um, do his Patreon. Um, and then that way it, it, it opens up some other options for you on his website. But I just thought that was a really, really cool thing for him to do for the people in this this hobby or the people that are contributing to this hobby that nobody asked him to do. So I will definitely be... Um, you know, repping this week in pinball from here on out. Um, this week in P P pinball also has silver ball swag. I have some merch on there. Feel free to do that. If there's any, if any of you ever buy any of my merch, please let me know. I'd love to see a picture of it. I just think that's, that would be ridiculous to see anybody wear anything that I've designed, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so that's all I got. That's all I got for this week. Thanks for listening to me. Um, any feedback at all on the podcast, once again, reach out to me at justanotherpinball at gmail.com and um, I will happily share more. I know I still want to talk about streaming more and I'm going to talk about Turtles more. I'm probably going to do a review on Stranger Things, maybe review some of the other podcasts I have, um, or I'm happy to talk about anything you guys send in. So thanks again for listening and hopefully I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Bye.